Father, we thank You as we come to Your Word this morning. We ask that You would open our hearts, prepare us to receive through Your Holy Spirit, open our eyes, our, our mind, Lord, that we can, each of us, glean something from the opening of Your Word and the sharing of it this morning that will enrich our walk, our lives, our testimony, our desire to witness for You. And uh, we, we again commit this time to You ask, Lord, that You would cause all the distractions to just be set aside that we might focus on You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Before I start to share this morning, just uh, making sure you understand, somebody asked me if, uh, you know, why I had Mother's Day flowers up here today, and I guess they do look like that. Uh, and, and everybody that knows me realizes that that could easily have happened, you know, because... Karen Wagner and, and, and Bill, Karen brings our flowers faithfully every Sunday almost. By the way, if you ever get a chance, just thank you. All those fresh flowers that are up here most of the time are out of her garden. She maintains a garden that blooms literally year-round something so that she can bring fresh flowers. You know, and I just I so appreciate that. So, And she's even conscious. She, she tries to make sure that they're not flowers that have too much... Uh, uh, odor or, or, or anything that, that will cause allergies to flare. She's very self-conscious of that even. So say thank you to her and, and let her know. But today, I, you know, I, just, uh, I, I needed to pick up the flowers, and so there they are. And I suppose anybody who's having a 58th wedding anniversary today could probably claim them. Anybody having a 58th wedding anniversary today? <laughs> Now, Arlene, I know what goes around comes around. Just remember, he put me up to it, okay? Just, okay. <laughs> and, and you can pick them up after church. How's that? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know how many times over the years now we've done something. We had the overhead projector, different kinds of things where we would, we would do something in reference to anniversaries. But uh, when it falls right on the day, yeah, it had to be a little bit more special. And I just think that's, I thought this was great. This was his idea, by the way. So, <laughs> I'd like to take credit for it, but it was his idea. <laughs> huh? Huh? <laughs> uh, this morning, we're looking at uh, getting back on, on track after all the Easter messages and, and all to uh, uh, the gifts of the Spirit. I've uh, been focusing on Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 3 through 8 to, uh, uh, as our reference point for the gifts that we've been looking at. And I'd like to, to uh, read that scripture uh, 3 through 8 with you this morning. Uh, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, 
in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The gift of teaching is the one that we are focusing on this morning. Uh, you would find also in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 28, it's also listed there in the list. Um, the, um, several of the gifts being mentioned at that point. Uh, but I'm just going to start with verse 27. Well, just verse 28 for, the, for today. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Paul, again, getting that picture of, of the teacher in there. And then finally, the, the, the other third key list of, of, of uh, gifts we find in Ephesians chapter 4. And there he says in verse 11, uh, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, and the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So we see the teachers in, all, in the three key lists of gifts in, in the Scriptures. And so we realize it's something that we should be, you know, look at and focus on. And... Uh, it really ties into where we've even been over the, the last several weeks. Uh, you know, the last month uh, we presented through the pulpit uh, the, the Bible, for instance, uh, looking at it. The Bible is absolutely true. It is fact. It is God-breathed, right, Alan? <laughs> Out two sermons on that. It's God-breathed. And, and thus the gospel, the good news... And man's absolutely need for this good news, God's grace and mercy, is absolutely true. In other words, we are fallen, helplessly, hopelessly lost, and without the grace of God, we're doomed to perish. But with the grace of God, we have eternal life. We've sung it several times in several ways this morning. It's the truth, it is reality. I think sometimes, you know, you know that idea of, of, of what's real is your perception. No, for you maybe, but reality in and of itself is God exists. His word is true. And, you're, and you and me are fallen. We need a Savior. And Christ is the one. That's the reality. And if we never grasp that truth, we perish. So if it's true, since it is true, needs to be presented to a lost world. And God has chosen the church to be His instrument, the vehicle He uses to present the gospel to a lost world. The church in Antioch is a good example. We just read those scriptures. I, I know I preached on them just uh, last, uh, last week or the week, you know, the week before, but talking about Barnabas and all. But, uh, but looking at at Antioch there in this particular point in time, a church that was just booming. And so, you know, it was by people repeating the grace, the gospel's message. They had come in persecution. Uh, when Stephen was, was killed for his testimonies, the church started to be persecuted by who? Saul. Known to us as Paul later on, but Saul. Okay? 
And, and as a result, the, the church was scattered. Now, it's an interesting thing that you can see God's hand, even in the midst of, uh, of, of, of somebody's corruptness or, or, or meanness or evilness or misdirection, all sorts of things that go on around the world, God's still using it in, in His sovereignty. God had told the people of Jerusalem, specifically the, the 120 that were in the upper room, before Jesus ascended, speaking to them, he basically said, you know, that, that they were to take the gospel first to Jerusalem, then to Judea, which was the area around Jerusalem, and, and by implication to all the Jews, and then to Samaria. Even the people are, that are your, your enemies and, and known as, if you would, half-Jews. The reason why that, that had happened was during the dispersion of the, of the Jewish people back in the Old Testament times when they were Babylonian captivities. When they returned, there had been a number of people left behind who had intermarried with the, uh, those that had invaded the land and no longer considered by the Jews that returned as acceptable. And they certainly had become corrupt in a lot of their worship and stuff and there wasn't any, any love between either of them. So, when does they get instructions? Take it to Jerusalem. This is the Jerusalem where Jesus had just been crucified for teaching. And they say, now go proclaim him. That has to be a pretty overwhelming thing if you start to think about it. And then they said, Judea, all of the Jewish area, and even into Samaria. How far do I have to go with this? Even into Samaria and the rest of the world. Well, they had gone to Jerusalem. They were preaching in Judea. They'd even touched into Samaria. But they hadn't really scattered. They hadn't really moved it out. When Stephen was persecuted and Saul star, or Stephen was, was murdered, really, you know, uh, martyred, and Saul and others started persecuting the church, it drove them out. And God used that to fulfill that commission of going to the rest of the world. And they ended up in Antioch, a very Gentile city, a very open city, a very metropolitan city, lots of different people and groups of people. And uh, it took off. And it started to fill up with Gentiles, non-Jews. Jerusalem church is saying, gee, what do we do about this? You know? So they sent Barnabas, a faithful servant, uh, an exhorter and, 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 and a person who could could really, you know, uh, size things up for them. And, and he got up there and said, wow, this is awesome. And he stayed there for a while and more became, got, you know, more people saved. And he realized, man, we need a teacher. And the amazing thing that had happened was between the time that Stephen had been martyred and this point in time in Antioch, Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor of the church, it had his Damascus Road encounter. He'd been literally caused in the process of coming in, in, in contact with Christ on the road to Damascus. And, or, and his goal was to persecute the church. He literally fell off his horse, was blinded, and, and realized that he'd come head to head, if you will, with the Lord. And three days later, the, the blindness was removed. 
God you know, brought a person to him to, to open his heart and, and, and share all that was going on around him, and, and he could see it now. And he was saved, he was baptized, and got so excited. Because this was a man who was a scholar of the Old Testament. He was trained under a scholar on a one-to-one basis. And so he, he really understood. And he says, it's just like it fell into place for him, just immediately. And all of a sudden he looked at the Old Testament and he says, oh man, this is this, 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 this. Oh, Jesus saw Isaiah 53, suffering servant on the, oh my goodness. And he was so overwhelmed with it that he, he immediately started talking to the Jews and taking the scriptures of the Old Testament and, and saying, this is, see how it points to Christ? It didn't go over very well. Um, they had to get him out of town, in the, in the, you know, lower him over the wall and, and sneak him out of town. He went to Jerusalem for just a, a while to meet the other apostles and stuff like that. But, but uh, you know, they sent him back to, to uh, there, that created problems there in Jerusalem as well. Because here's this, you know, amazing Jewish teacher now all of a sudden proclaiming Christ. And it just that set up too many apple carts. They sent him back to to Tarsus to, to kind of put him on the shelf for a while. I won't go into detail what happened during that time, but uh, Barnabas now is in Antioch and he needs a teacher. He says, I know where there's a teacher. Just a little bit over here in Tarsus. I'll just go around over this loop of, of established road, go looking for him, found him and brought him back. And together with, with Saul and his ability to teach, and, and, and God, his, his, the, having through the Holy Spirit, opened his heart to understanding Scripture and seeing Christ in it. You know, more and more and more were added to the church. I think it's a neat story of how God works through the church using, you know, and, and if, there isn't, you know, if there isn't the teacher that you need right there, then God will provide one. Somehow, God is going to bring to, to, the, to the congregations, to the places where the church wants to know Him, God brings the things that they need in the way of gifts and, and, and strengths. And one of those gifts is, is the need for it, is the teacher, and we all need that teacher. I was, I was thinking... As I, as I was looking at, 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 at preparing this, and I, and I actually read a, a couple of other uh, ideas about how to present it and stuff. But one of the guys was saying, do you remember your most favorite teacher? And, and I want to preface this by the fact that this, this man had said that he remembered you know, his teachers, but he can't remember all the stuff that he learned. Um, and, and he was commenting how those were gifted teachers. I'm going to argue with that in a minute. But I will say, can you remember your favorite teachers? Or can you just remember your teachers at all? Somebody, somebody give me a teacher they remember. Quick hand. Okay. Was she, was, was she somebody that you remember fondly? Okay. <laughs> okay. Good teacher. Do you remember any of the science? Okay. <laughs> Do you remember anything from first grade that you learned? No. Okay. <laughs> Which means it was all wrote and she did a good job. <laughs> uh, any, anybody else? One more. Val Somerville? Yeah. 
Awesome teacher. Right, Mickey? <laughs> okay, and, and so we can all remember someone. And, and sometimes you can remember the good teachers, and sometimes you remember the bad teachers. I remember one, my, my uh, uh, 11th grade English teacher. I don't think he wanted to be there anymore. And uh, we all we, we took a, a test, a vocabulary test, and the whole class just bombed. And he says, okay, well, we won't do that anymore. <laughs> and we kind of figured out if we all collectively do bad on something, and I'm not kidding you, we actually got together and on a couple of other things that we didn't like doing, bombed, and he got those things out of there too. He just, he just kind of wanted to finish out with a little bit of a streak of looking good and, and whatever. And so you can't, I liked him, <laughs> but, but, you know, he wasn't what I would label a good teacher. I remember Mr. Overeem. I'll never forget him. He was one of my shop teachers when I was in the eighth grade. Not only do I remember the, the, the teacher, but I remember all that I learned from him in drafting. To this day, I still use what I learned in that class. I have submitted over and over and over again plans for remodels and different things that, that have been done that I learned to do through him. And I just, it was one of those things. He saw me, and I, I really liked doing it, and he spent extra time with me. And uh, it, it, it stuck with me to this day. So, you, you know, I can remember finally uh, an English teacher. Grammar was her thing, my eighth grade English teacher. And uh, she had a thing about not using the school system for detention. So that when you acted up in her class, uh, you got her detention, which was after school in her classroom, diagramming sentences over and over and over again. <laughs> Thank you, dear. <laughs> My wife chimed in, and you had lots of practice. That's actually true. I was one of those kids that had a hundred and some eighty detentions that year. Uh, but Mrs. Shortell, I, I, did, I didn't like the idea of detention, but I learned from her, and to this day I respect her because she wanted to use my downtime, which if you went to the regular detention, it was copying juvenile delinquency laws. Page after page after page. Uh, and, and so uh, uh, she, she wanted it to be constructive. And to this day, I can diagram sentences. And all the kids that I've had, that I have taught English over the years, can diagram sentences. Uh, so we have these different things. And so I was trying to make a list. What, you know, what was it you know, that you remember? Good, bad, what was the criteria? And the one thing I realized is the criteria can be very subjective as to what you considered a good or a bad teacher, okay? But when I was in college, I, I have a list of, of things that, that people were looking at as far as teachers go. Personality. Some people just like, some teachers had that, that, that just kind of a, a effervescent, almost bubbly personality. They presented things in such a way that, that uh, it was just interesting to listen to. And, and so their, 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 their ability, their personality to communicate some of them, I, I recall, just uh, you wanted to avoid because of how difficult their classes were. Or the workload that they assigned in addition to the class. 
you know, a teacher that you know has a two-unit class and assigns five units worth of, of, of homework uh, and study stuff. In addition, you know, it's kind of like a lot of extra work. Uh, their knowledge of the subject, you know, some people were always, you know, different things that people were looking for to avoid or or to embrace. For me, it was real simple. I wanted, I, I worked full time. And so I needed classes to fall into blocks. And so my boss allowed me to work for registration at Cal Poly. And so I got to pull my cards first. And so I always pulled things that would fit into blocks so that I would, I would go to school, get it done, and then I'd be done for the day. I wouldn't have to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it worked out really well. So my thing was based on times. I didn't pick the teachers for any other reasons. I picked the time slots. But I got one teacher that everybody told me I didn't want, but it was just, there was no other time slot to, to fill this particular class one, so I got Mr. Barr, Dr. Barr, who also had written a book in the class for European Lit. I got a C out of his class. And it wasn't for the lack of trying. I'm not a great reader. But this guy knew his stuff. I had never been in college. It was, became one of my... I took him two more semesters even out of my time blocks because he so knew his stuff and could so present it in such a way that even though I, I didn't do great grade-wise, I grasped stuff that I never would have got before. The book Jude the Obscure, read it sometime. Awesomely fascinating story. You know, uh, you know so it just, just different things that impact you, the teachers. You know, uh, you know it's, it's over the time you realize. Now, the one thing that I want to suggest is those who really had the, the, a, a gift, if you will, to teach, and I'm not necessarily saying a gift from a biblical perspective, but uh, that ability and that skill, the ability to communicate, they not only were the teacher that you remember, but it's also you remember what they taught you. Okay, it's stuck. Now, from a biblical perspective, you know, we come back to this idea of the Bible. Knowing the truth is absolutely critical. That's the first criterion for a teacher is, is that they know the truth. They know the Bible. They are students of the Bible. They desire to grow in their understanding of the Bible. My Grandfather would say a true teacher has a learner's spirit. They never stop growing. They never stop learning. There is no subject period that anyone can exhaust in knowledge and, and understanding. Well, if that's true about math, which was what he was normally talking about, or or, or language skills or anything else, then how much more true is that of the Word of God? There's no way to exhaust what the eternal God of all creation has given us. So somebody who is a student of the Word, that, and again, that's extremely important because 
And I'm not going to go into a tremendous amount of detail with this this morning, but the reality that, well, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5 speak about it, that there is a battle going on for our minds. There is what God wants us to think, and there's what the world wants us to think. And basically, what we come to a final conclusion is that everything that is taught rests in one of two camps. I, and every time I do this, I know that I've got some people who will raise an eyebrow because they say that's so narrow. I just inform you again, I'm reading what is written as I, as I go through this. John says it all falls into two camps. When he writes in 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now in the world already. What Paul or John was basically saying was, assess what when something is being taught to you, assess it. Take it to the truth and evaluate it. If it doesn't confess Christ, then you know that it is standing in the world. Now, can you still learn something from it? This type of thing. That's not the issue. The issue is just knowing the source so that you can say, you know, if something comes up that's in contradiction to Scripture, you can realize where where to draw the line. And we're to draw that line in everything that we do. Everything. We're to assess whether it is preaching Christ or denying Christ. And it denies Christ by simply not acknowledging Him. Did you catch that part? By simply not acknowledging Him, it denies Him. Can I therefore I never can watch TV? <laughs> or I can't read the newspaper? Or I can't No, it's not what this is about. What this is saying is be sure you understand the source of the, the, the teaching, the, the, the idea, the, the spirit behind what you're reading or, or listening to or watching or participating in so that you'll know whether to how much influence it can have over you, where, where to draw the line. And the fact that someone can participate in some things and, and you can't, Paul addresses that later on in Romans. We'll get to it. But he says, for some things, some people have, you know, to do this is sin. For others, it's not. If it's sin for you, don't do it. <laughs> you know, not, not to judge, but to deal with that. But we'll get to that at another point. And we'll deal more with false teachers. But right now, just this picture, understand that there's a, there's a battle going on for our minds. So... As a body of Christ, as, t- as, as congregations, as, as, as churches you know, coming together, we are seeking teachers of the truth, of the Word of God. Now, there's definition of, this, of the gift of teaching, uh, and there's several of them out there. You can, you know, this one is just one that I picked up on. The gift of, of teaching is the God-given ability and that's a critical factor here. We'll get to it in a second. God-given ability to understand and communicate 
biblical truth in a clear and relevant manner so that there is understanding and application causing greater Christ-likeness in the lives of the listeners, inspiring greater obedience to the Word. My reduction. The gifted Bible teacher knows how to study and communicate the Bible clearly and accurately so that others can understand and apply its message. The gifted Bible teacher. What we're talking about is when we're talking about the gift of teaching according to what the Scripture is talking about in Romans, Corinthians, and Ephesians. Excuse me. To lead the teaching in the framework of the congregation, the local congregation, at the, at the, the head of the list are your elders. And Scripture is explicit that the elders are to be able to teach. Our responsibility, well, you know, uh, let's just uh, let's look at it. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. That's 1 Timothy chapter 3. In Titus chapter 1, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who con- conflict uh, or contradict it. Okay, so here's that picture. He must hold firm to this and be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and rebuke what's false and point it out. That's the elders. We're responsible as elders to to oversee the congregation in such a way that what you hear from here, what you hear in Bible studies, what you hear in the home studies, what you hear in any way from us, including even in the music we sing, that it all agrees with God's Word. That it's solid with God's Word. And the elders are called to lead that. However, the elders are not necessarily the only teachers in the congregation. Scripture makes it very clear that the elders are to not only protect the congregation, guard the congregation, and lead the way in teaching, but in, you know, uh, well, instructions from Paul to Timothy in, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And what you have heard from me, this is Paul saying to Timothy, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In other words, a progressive thing. We're told in Titus chapter 2, the women called to teach women and to pass it on, to, you know, this idea of perpetuating the, the idea of teaching. I, I, I'm just emphasizing all of this at this point just to understand that you understand how important it is that teaching is, is done, number one, and number two, that it's biblical. And in the framework of that, if someone has the gift, how important it is and needed in the congregation. It's not limited, therefore, to the elders. It's one of the spiritual gifts given by the Holy Spirit to whom He chooses. Everyone in the body has a spiritual gift, at least one, which may include teaching. How do you know? What I see 
is normally people that, that, that are God is calling into a teaching ministry, they develop a, a strong hunger for God's Word. They would study it if there were no Bible studies available. They would still figure out a way. And once they've got it, they are compelled. It's like they, they're incomplete until they share it with someone else. It's like, I, I need to tell somebody else what I have figured out, what I know. They, even, they look for opportunities to share. Whether it's a study group or a Bible study, home study, youth studies, children's ministries, they look for that opportunity. And so I'm looking at this and saying, here's this person that's hungry. So how do we strengthen teaching in the local body? Well, you know, one of the things is that we, we need to be teaching from the pulpit. We need to be teaching in our Bible studies, all these things. But also providing the opportunities to teach. And looking and, and encouraging you to use your gifts if you have them. Uh, There's a lot of things that we can that you can use. If you feel this this hunger after God's word and you're looking for opportunity, but you know you're you know it's not happening. Maybe even in some cases for some people it's not just not happening fast enough. I need more. I need more. I need more. Okay, there's a lot of things that you can do. And I just want to suggest to you, you know, sometimes what happens is we send you off to Bible college. That's not always the the, the, the best thing to do necessarily. You know, uh, sometimes it's to equip you here, but then we need to have the resources. Today we are, we, we've got un, almost unlimited resources because of what we can get online through credited and, and reputable universities and Bible colleges, through the books and studies, DVDs, uh, studies, you know, uh, online MP3s, you know, and podcasts, I'll give you, I'll give you uh, three sources that, you can, that I, I'm comfortable giving you. Not that you should not check everything out on your own. And if you really have that hunger, you end up doing that anyway. But there's a, a, a site online, uh, online on the Internet, Monergism. Just you know, write down Monergism, go into, put that on your, your search engine, and it'll bring up Monergism, go to it. And you'll find all sorts of resources, sermons from from pastors all over the world who are like minded with us in the sense of of, of doctrines of grace and other issues and, 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 and just fantastic source of information. Specific people you've heard quoted over and over and over again in this pulpit from more than myself, two men, especially John Piper and John MacArthur. Well, John Piper and John MacArthur both have websites. Both have opportunity. You can go to their websites and download their sermons, their Bible studies, and other information in reference to their teaching. And get additional personal equipping, if you will. I'm just suggesting to you that you don't have to wait for Bible college. You don't have to wait for, for some specific opportunity Today we have so much that we can help. If you're interested in knowing more uh, about how to, to become better equipped to be the teacher you believe God's calling you to be, come and talk to me. You can also talk to, to, to Brad, Ted, Levi, others, uh, BJ, 
uh, Alan and others that, you, that you've seen in the pulpit will help you. The There are responsibilities that come with teaching and, and accountability that comes with teaching. And probably the one that always comes to mind for me is James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers. Now, here I am talking about being teachers, and then I turn around and say, not many of you should become teachers. What it's saying is, don't aspire to be a teacher if you don't feel God leading you to it. It's, there's nothing glamorous about being the teacher. There's a lot of people that think it's a, it's a power trip, and some people it is. Or an authority thing, or, or whatever. James has a reason for this. He says, not many of you should become teachers by my brothers, for you know that those of us who teach will be judged with greater strictness. If anything, coming to the point where God uses you to teach, and I don't care whether it's toddlers or seniors, and anything in between, you have been handed a responsibility that God thinks is so important that it be done properly, meaning from His Word, to explain His Word in such a way that they can grasp it, that He says, you're under a stricter uh, judgment than the average person coming before the throne. And there is a judgment for believers, folks. It has nothing to do with eternity. It has to do with accountability. And what you did with the resources that God gave you. If you're a teacher and God's called you and you're teaching, he's going to say, did you teach my word? Did you strive to make it understandable to the audience you were teaching to? The uh, two men while I was in Bible college that ended up being my mentors uh, for a year and a half because I needed to do an internship. And I'd mentioned this before, but this is the way they looked at it. One, his name was Don Hinkle, and the other one was Bryce Jessup. And Bryce was the senior pastor. Don was the head of Christian education. And... Uh, when you went to intern in their church, you automatically started with the children's ministry. Very humbling. It really is because you know you, you're, maybe you're interning for a you know I'm training to be a pulpiteer, pastor, teacher, not a kid's babysitter. Unfortunately, there's a lot of church that thinks Sunday school is babysitting. So the teachers, the parents can have a moment of, of an opportunity to worship without the distraction. When is most of the things on your belief window really cemented as far as what you are going to believe? And see, it happens between the ages of 
1 and 7, right in that area. Critical. All of public education has got it. They've got class after class after class for those teachers to learn how to present evolution, secular humanity, and all other aspects of, of philosophy to those kids at that level so that they will grasp it, hold on to it, and become part of them. How critical it is. So teaching children is no small thing. I learned that. Not only that, I also learned that they handed they didn't hand us you know scripted lessons. They handed us information that we had to turn around and digest and present. And it was an interesting thing because I, I finally understood the philosophy months later. If you digest the truth in the gospel and you get it to the point where you can get a six-year-old to grab a hold of it, you can teach it to anybody. All I want to set the stage for this morning is just the importance for teaching in the church. Do you or do you not feel God is leading you in that area? Now, if He's not, that doesn't excuse you. And we'll get into this more next week. doesn't excuse you from teaching. We're all called to teach, and we'll get into that in more detail. But the gift of teaching that God is using is that uh, kind of the instructional teaching of the body of Christ that is where we communicate the understanding of God's Word in a, in a format that we would call public, if you will, and, and, and teaching it in such a way that the listener can comprehend, understand, grab a hold, and keep it. So, uh, we'll look at uh, more detail on that over the next uh, week, next, next Sunday. There's all sorts of things that God can use, as I already implied with just one list, to teach us. And, I, and, and you know, I think of music. I, I am a, a, a music person. I just, I, 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 and I, and I like to listen to a variety of music. And some of my music I actually like to listen to loud. <laughs> Kathy's over here. We had stereo, and we had separate earphones with different volume controls. <laughs> she likes mellow, soft. I like booming so I can feel the bass. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but music is an awesome tool. You can actually teach a lot of truth through music, especially to kids. Pretty amazing. Like I said, all the other sources and things, things, object lessons. Kids love object lessons. I've done a few even in here, but, but kids love object lessons. And it's ways that they can see in a picture form somehow a truth of God and they can walk away with some kind of understanding. And I thought about that and I realized God's given us two amazing object lessons that we call sacraments. Communion and baptism. Communion is one of those object lessons for a moment. Just to, I, don't want, I don't mean to be lowering it in any way of its importance. But think about it. The bread is the body of Christ. 
the, 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 the fruit of the vine is the blood of Christ. And every time we take it, we think of... It I'm not a transubstantiationist. <laughs> I do not believe the, 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 the wine becomes the blood and the, and the bread becomes the body. I believe they are symbolic. They are a picture of to remind us constantly until He comes again, He says, of all that He has done for us. And so when we come to communion, we've got the object lesson. It is a teaching tool. It should remind us every time we take it of the awesomeness of who God is, what He has done, what He suffered for us, and the hope that He has given us and the promises that He has made that He will complete, He says. He will make it happen. He promises that what He has started in us, and I believe overall is implied, He will complete it. And so we can confidently be saying, we can look forward to this and every time we take it, excitedly think about His return. We can be anxious for His return because it means that everything is finally complete in Him. Ask the ushers to come forward, pass the communion emblems out until we've all been served, and then we'll share it together. Joy giver and the end. 
teach them so that we would understand them. And one of the things he taught to the Corinthians since we were just looking at that book was he said something that he had received from the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, something that God had revealed to him of its importance and how it works and all that. He says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. In other words, I taught this to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed had taken bread and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Paul goes on to say, in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Father, once again, we thank You. I think of all the ways through Your Word that You've used to instruct, to teach, to draw attention to things that are important to us. Parables, stories, and other things. But communion is so clear. You came in the flesh. The bread is the representation of that. God incarnate. God of the creation. God creator. God creator of the universe. All things created through. You came in the flesh to go to the cross and the cup is that picture of pouring out your blood, your life so that you could say the words, it is finished. That we might not know death, but know life eternal. Thank you. Death in that sense has truly lost its sting. doesn't have a hold over us because even to die is to gain. We win because we rest in You and Your finished work on the cross. Thank You. In Jesus' name.